1: Father, thank you so much for your word. We are in darkness without your word. And so, Lord, like you spoke in Genesis 1 when you said, let there be light, say it again this morning, Lord, that as we open your word, that there would be light within our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 35, verse 16, please. Genesis 35, 16. Okay. Genesis 35, 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have the son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died, and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, and the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan, and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, God, Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Padanaram. And Jacob came unto Isaac, his father in Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were and fourscore years, 180. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Okay, now, this last part of here, uh, chapter 35, very important, but in the study we saw, in our last study, we saw how Rachel died. She died in childbirth, and we saw that as she was dying that she gave this name to her son, Benoni, or the son of my sorrow, or the son of my pain, and we saw how that name that Rachel, was she was doing there, she was saying to her son, you caused my sorrow, you caused my pain, And if you hadn't been born, I wouldn't have had all this sorrow. I wouldn't have had all this pain. And we saw how some view the Lord Jesus Christ that way when they they talk about the crusaders and the inquisitioners in Spain causing so much sorrow and pain in his name. And we saw how Jacob gave a different name, called a different name for his last son. It was Benjamin, son of my right hand, by implication, son of my power. And we saw this parallel again, how, how others look at the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ totally differently and see him as dear and see him as precious and see him as my strength in place of my weakness. So now we come and we look at verse 19 here. Rachel died, was buried in Ephrath, which is at Bethlehem. This is really a summary statement. I mean, it, for the life of Rachel, uh, Rachel on earth, the simple words, she died. I mean, Rachel's had a hard life. I mean, she, it's been difficult for her. Her married life starts off with this terrible envy, of her sister Leah, and then we saw how she fought with Jacob, fought over Jacob with her sister, and then fought with Jacob. And then we saw how she was frustrated over not being able to have children. She introduced this whole concept of using the handmaids for wife to have children with them. And then we saw how she was conflicted and she stole her father's idols and she kept him secretly. So a lot of sorrow, a lot of grief in Rachel's life. And when she names her son here, the son of my sorrow, all these sorrows, these griefs of Rachel, it make her kind of a, like a type of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, the history of the Jewish people, it's just all about sorrows, all about griefs, you know. It really is a type of the Messiah, of the Jewish people, as he's described in verse 3, he's despised, he's rejected of men, he's a man of sorrows, he's acquainted with grief. We couldn't even look at him, he was so despised, and, he, and we esteemed him not. So, when it says he was despised, it, the Lord Jesus, it's showing how man thought of him. They looked at him, and as he said about himself in Psalm 22 6, I am a worm, and no man. A reproach of men and despise of the people. So since he's rejected, it's more than it, more than that. He, it, he was rejected, but he was forsaken by men. And the leaders, they, they, first of all, the leaders, they just said, "Don't pay any attention to him." Don't pay any attention to his teaching, and they didn't. And, they, and so many left, and so many left, and so he turns around to those who are following him, and he says, "Little flock." He calls them little flock in Luke twelve thirty two. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. At one point he saw the majority of people who were following just stop. They just stopped following him and they turned back and leaving, as I said, the little flock. And then for the ones who were left behind, he said, well what about you? Are you going to go away also? as he said in John 666, John 666. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with them. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So finally, like Rachel, he's called, she's like she's like a, she's a person of sorrows and grief. He, he's called a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And when Rachel dies, this is a real heartache for Jacob. I mean, he, he, he this is, this is just coming right on the heels of the death of, of the one who took care of his mother, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. This is really hard for him. He's seeing he, he we see him go through just one trouble after another. That's Jacob's life. I mean, Jacob when he was standing before Pharaoh and he was talking about his life in Genesis forty seven nine, Genesis forty seven nine, and he gives this description of his life to Pharaoh. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage, you can feel the pain in that statement, the days of the years. It's like, oh, man. The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the the years of my life been. Boy, how'd you like to be in a position where you just look back in your life and say, my life, but few and evil have been the days of the years of my life and have not attained under the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. Now, it's true. He, was, he, he died the youngest. He didn't live. Anyways, the others lived longer than him. So first we see Jacob calling his life a pilgrimage. And that's what it was. It was just a wandering. You look at him, it was a wandering, just moving from one place to the other. It was not as though Jacob didn't try to settle down and make a life for himself. He did especially when he was in Uncle Laban's house, good old Uncle Laban. You know, he finally had his own family. He finally got his own large herd. But then Uncle Laban and his, his the sons, they turned against him and they accused him. You, t- you got all that by stealing it from us. You took all that was our father's. That's what your personal wealth is. It's ours. You stole it. And well, that wasn't so good. And so then then he gets uprooted from there. So ever since Jacob left his house, his father's house, because his brother had vowed to kill him. He's just been moving from one place to other. And you could say he's moving from one trouble to another trouble. And you know, I mean, you, you look at all, the you look at the two other patriarchs before him, Abraham and Isaac, and you sum up, a, you put in a bag all of their troubles, Abraham and Isaac's, and Jacob's got a bigger bag. but Both of them made up. So he calls his life a pilgrimage and shows us that for us, in life, don't expect rest, don't expect enjoyment. I mean, what we see from his life is that life is not intended to be a rest and an enjoyment. You know, I reach retirement, then I'm gonna rest and enjoy. It's a pilgrimage. And the person who tries to make this life a rest and an enjoyment, he's called by the Lord a fool. A fool in Luke twelve sixteen. Luke twelve sixteen. When he spoke this parable, the Lord Jesus said he spoke a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, bumper crop. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Such a problem, right? (laughs) He said, this will I do. He's got a brainstorm." I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, take it easy, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool, this night shall thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those be? those things be which thou hast provided, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So the Lord calls this rich man who tried to make this world his treasure and tried to create in this life a life of rest and enjoyment, he calls him a fool, a fool because he looks at his riches and he says, boy, they're gonna bring me happiness in life. That's all I need. And the most tragic words in that parable are the two words, this night, That was a catastrophe. That was tragic words, this night, because this night thy soul shall be required of thee. That's a catastrophe. Why? Because the person thinks he's just ready to start to live and to enjoy himself, and then in a single moment like that, all of his hopes are dashed as he's ushered in before God that he has forgotten about in life. So life we see from Jacob's life. Life is just a pilgrimage with lots of troubles along the way, but... There's a goal to reach. There's a prize to be won, as Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 9.24, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Know you not that they all which run in a race, they run all, but one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. So Jacob, he calls his life a sad pilgrimage, and it's filled with a lot of trouble, got a lot of sorrow. Here's the death of Rachel. It's just one of Jacob's many, many sorrows and troubles. He could make, right, he has a catalogue of them. He, he, yeah. So but Job, when he describes life, he hits the nail right on the head when he says in Job 5 7, Job 5-7, Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. And then I wanted to really confirm the new believers in the book of Acts so that they know what's coming in life, and they, they prepare him in Acts. Acts 14.22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. All right, so here we are. It's the death of Rachel. It's the end of his marriage between Jacob and Rachel, and it's sad. It's just very sad. I mean, you look at verse 20, and what can you say, except it's a very sad statement when you see Poor Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That's the pillar of Rachel's grave. under this day, I mean, we look, at, we look at Jacob. He's just buried the only woman he ever loved. Not that he didn't have other women that he could have chosen from, but this was the only one that he loved. And he's putting this pillar over her grave. It's really sad to see this. And we can imagine Jacob, he's thinking back as he puts the pillar up and he's, he says, boy, I remember when I first saw her at the well, how beautiful she was. And he goes and gets the Herculean strength and moves the stone and waters the flock for her. And then he kisses her and he says, that woman's going to be my wife. And uh, and what a process that was uh, for him to finally get her. But he finally did. And now he's just setting up this pillar here over a grave in verse 20. You see a man saying goodbye to the love of his life. I mean, it's kind of interesting the way this is put here in verse, in these, the verse 20 and 21. You look at verse 20, who is said to have put the pillar on Rachel's grave? Who? Jacob, right? Okay, who is said to have journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tent of Adar? Next verse, Israel. Whoa, that's a big difference there. That's where the names are very important in verses 20 and 21. See, verse 20, we see Jacob putting this pillar on on Rachel's grave. and But remember, when Jacob met Rachel, he didn't have the name of Israel. He wasn't Israel then. He was just Jacob, but he wasn't the prince with God. And, and so the death of, of Rachel, I mean, this has got all the potential to crush him into a state of despair. He's just lost the love of his life. But in verse 21, this is Israel now. This is Israel. It's not Jacob. It's Israel who's rising above this sadness of losing the only woman he ever loved, and so how does how does Jacob rise above this sadness as Israel, as the prince with God? Jacob now has God, and that makes all the difference in the world. You know, I was in the medical building, you know, last week. I seem to be spending a lot of time in medical buildings, but anyway, that's where I was. And I was in a medical building last week, and as I was waiting for the elevator, a lady was there. And uh, I don't remember how I got on the subject, and I don't remember how she even told me this, but she said to me that she had just lost her husband three months ago. And uh, I said, well, I lost my wife two years ago. And then she says to me, tell me it gets easier. And, And I said, well, I told her that, yes, it gets a lot easier because I never lost the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've grown to love him more now with the passing of my wife. So all the hardness has been taken away. This is Jacob here. This is Israel that's rising above all this. That's what we're seeing here with Jacob. Jacob puts the pillar over Rachel's grave. Israel moves on in his life. It's not just the man, Jacob, that was able to rise above his grief and his sadness. This was the prince with God. This was Israel. He journeys on. So it's very important for us to see in these verses how to rise above the sorrows and griefs in life. Okay, now, we come to verse 21. It says, Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the Tower of Adar. Now, what's interesting here is we look at this word. Again, we talked about Israel and Jacob in comparison. and how Okay, we talked about that already. But now, there's another part here. And and you look at this and you say, Israel journeyed and spread his tent now we know israel means prince with god so let's just plug in that word and plug in that definition for the and and read that verse 21 like this and the prince with god journeyed and spread his tent the prince with god spread his tent you say what the prince with god is living in a tent yeah i mean how can that be it brings us we see that it makes us consider the Lord Jesus Christ, because it says in Matthew 8, 20, I mean, he says about himself, and it's very interesting what he says. He says, and Jesus saith unto him, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. I mean, this again, this is an astounding statement. It's like the prince with God spreading his tent, living in a tent. I mean, this is, a st- here's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's really, when you read this, you understand, he's a poor man. He's a poor man. He doesn't even have a house or a home of his own. He didn't even have a job to make money in. I mean, he left being a carpenter. Not that that was such a lucrative job, but it was a job. And so how did he live? If he gave up his livelihood of being a carpenter, well, clearly he was dependent on the hospitality of others, it says in Luke 8:3, 8, Luke 83, Johanna, the wife of Cuza, Herod Stewart and Susanna and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. so they gave him. oh, was that a steady income? I mean you know as the Jewish mother father said, "You're going to live how? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was for all of his life. You look at his life, he was always so grateful. he was always giving thanks. Really was a life of gratitude, and so as a matter of fact, he was so grateful that he made a living on gratitude. He made a living on gratitude. A person who lives on gratitude, he's got a stable livelihood. That's what he'd had. Now, but the point is, when he says that he didn't have like the foxes and the birds, he humbled himself to that level. He humbled himself where when he said, "Foxes have more than I do. Birds have more than I do." And in other words, foxes, they've got a hole to run into for safety. Birds, they have a nest they can be warm in there, and I don't have either. And he described this situation, and he used a very special name for himself. What was the name he used for himself? Son of man. He calls himself the son of man. That's a distinctive name, a distinctive name that the Lord Jesus Christ used for himself. That's a very important name, the son of man because the son of man embodies something very special about the Lord Jesus Christ. That title, the son of man, he used over 70 times in the New Testament. That is his name. That is the name that he uses for himself. Now, son of, is just son of, that's very important because it points back to the father. right? He said that Simon bar Jonah, bar his son, Jonah is a person, so Simon, son of Jonah, right? So James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, right? So some might have expected that the Lord would call himself bar Yosef, Bar-Joseph, or son of Joseph, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that, which shows that the name son of man is a statement of denial. It is a statement of denial. He is denying being limited to a particular man, as Joseph, let's say, for example. So when he calls himself the son of man, he's denying that he has any house or any home that would be his by right of inheritance from a family from his father, for example. So when he calls himself the son of man, he's denying that he has any wealth, that he has any lands by right of an inheritance from family. Then he calls others son of a certain man, But he denies that title for himself. He's not the son of any particular man. So if the name son of man denies him from being a part of any family, then what does he mean by son of man when he says that? He calls himself son of man. He's embracing all of mankind by being the by being the, the, the son of all mankind, he's just like a, he's like the son of humanity, you know. And he's not just the son of one particular man or family. When he calls himself the son of man, he's saying this is the son of all men. He's the humanity's son. He belongs to all men. When he calls himself the son of man, he's not calling himself the son of the Jews. There's no Jewish. There's nothing Jewish about saying son of man, or the son of the Jewish people. He's calling him the son of all people of all time. When he calls himself the son of man, he's fulfilling the promise that was made to Abraham that far surpassed just the Jewish people and the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12, 3. When God promised to Abraham, Genesis 12, 3, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed, all men. Of the Earth be blessed, and the Abrahamic promise then the blessing to all families, it's, it was confirmed again to Jacob, and, he, and Jacob it was says, someone's going to come from your seed, he said in genesis twenty eight fourteen genesis twenty eight fourteen and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west to the east and to the north and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So when he calls himself the son of man, he is saying that he's denying being just of Joseph or just the son of Mary or just the son of the Jews. He's the son of all men. He belongs to the human race. And as the son of man, every person everywhere has a right to choose him as the son of man to be their savior from sin. And this all-inclusive right of everyone to choose him as the son of man this is what he's emphasizing.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at God. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere.